Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos. I'm your host. And uh, today we have everyone's favorite, including mine, my buddy, my life partner, Jason Maine. Jason's joining us today. What's up, Jay? Hey, how are you? Welcome, guys, back to another episode of, uh, you know, our podcast, our monthly installments. That's right. Yeah, last, so I did my, the last episode I did with Manjos, that was fun. I think it was a good, it was a good topic, good episode. It's always fun with Manjos, but um, it's always good to have the main man with me here. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. As always, uh, we uh, start with our wrist check. So Jay, you got anything cool and exciting on the wrist? Uh, I'm wearing... I'm um, not sure if I wore this last podcast or not, but this is uh, my newest piece. It's a uh, Formex, so it's the Reef Diver 42 millimeter. It's, it happens to be um, a good buddy of mine. Shout out to Asher and Collective Horology uh, collaboration, retail collab. Uh, so it's like a brushed um, bronze dial. So it's got kind of a, it's a different look for me. It's not something I normally would gravitate towards, but I'm finding that I wear it quite a bit, and it's always cool to get something that's a little outside your comfort box and uh you know branch out a little bit you know so but it's uh it's got interchangeable bezels and quick strap systems so you kind of make it yours and uh threw a green bezel Sweet. on there it's pretty cool nice yes yes uh i don't remember if you were wearing it on the last one or not but i know i talked to asher i did a podcast with asher and he did talk to me about that watch and i thought it was cool and when you you came over for a barbecue not that long ago and and I was annoying you by just like basically just knocking that bezel off the watch like over and over again, which was fun. It was fun for me. So I've already enjoyed that watch. Yeah. All right. I think so I, I think um, I wore my Omega on the last podcast. Anyhow. Most likely. Yeah. You have you have a large. Please uh, tell me you're wearing and, anything but your Panerai with the white strap on it. Uh yeah. So I am. You're right. I'm I'm that's that is what I'm wearing, which is great. Yeah, it's my favorite watch. Um, I'm wearing my Panerai 233. Um, with uh, the white rubber strap, I think it's been like almost a year and a half, two years that I've had this strap on the watch, and I've loved it, and it makes me love the watch even more. Um, so for those who don't know what the watch is, it's a 44-millimeter uh, 1950s um, case, luminor, stainless steel. Um, it's a manual wind, eight-day movement, uh, GMT with AMPM indicator and the date. Uh, it is... Like a um, tremendous everyday watch, and it, that's literally what it is for me. Um, I can't remember the last time. I, oh, so the last watch I wore that wasn't this watch was my Garrick, um, which I really like that watch as well, but I don't wear it as often. It's not quite as robust as the Panerai, and it's just the Panerai just fits in every situation. I think that if I ever gave up on watches as a whole, um, when I'd like to stop collecting watches, I might just have like this watch, and this could just I could just wear this all the time. I think this would be the one. But I also can change my mind. Yeah. So, uh, so that's right. So quite, I got the Panerai. Quite frequently, my dad. <laughs> that's right. I do change my mind quite frequently. Um, so I got the Panerai. You have the Formex. Let's get started. Uh, we got a few topics to to tackle today. So the first one I wanted to tackle with you, Jason, is um, kind of you know there was a pretty exciting, I guess, some um, uh, release. This week, uh, certain people were uh, were excited. I guess mainly kind of hype beast type characters, but you know it's, there's a lot of those out there. So, uh, and that is the the new Rolex Daytona Le Mans, the the commemoration of the hundred year of Le Mans. 
Um, they released a white gold, a full white gold on white gold bracelet Daytona with a ceramic bezel. It's the first time they've done that um, with a an open case back. And actually, if you look closely, it's uh, the movement is actually different than all the other Daytonas. That's one thing that I think. I don't know if that was touched upon in some of the media, um, but they, they changed the 12-hour counter for the Chrono to a 24-hour for the 24 Hours Le Mans. So it, it is truly a different movement um, from all the other Daytonas, including the uh, the Platinum that has the open case as well. So um, it's got people pretty excited. I've had people ask me about it or for it. Um, I, don't, I don't have the watch. I don't think it'll be available. Um, I don't know how limited it'll be. I assume it'll be very limited. And... Uh, I guess you give me your thoughts and we can talk about what we think it's going to trade for um, when it does, you know, uh, emerge on the market. Right. So uh, first of all, I think it's, it's a cool looking take on the piece. I think it's probably the new king of the white gold Daytonas, right? Um, 24 hour uh, movement is pretty cool because anytime there's only, you know, in the words of the great Tim Masa, there's only one first. Right, so it's the first with that movement. Um, mm-hmm. It's also the first white gold uh, exhibition case back Daytona, as the one that we saw a couple months ago was a platinum piece. Um, I think that dials a lot prettier with the you know the panda dial than the regular release. So I think it's a winner. Um, you know, it, I, I've never been a big fan of the Daytona, but I have not seen the new ones with the. Uh, with the chapter rings around the ceramic bezels yet. Um, so I, I'm excited to see it in person. I don't know when that will be, you know, five years from no. now. But. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's one thing that we're noticing. I mean, like, so Rolex released all these new models or, um, you know, had basically one of the largest revamping of their catalog ever that we've ever seen. And that was back probably about three months ago. And I don't think, I don't think our parent company, Godfrey's, has received any of these new models. Um, in fact, like I know some guys that are waiting for even like the new, um, what is it, the uh, the Skydwellers. You know, they they reedition the Skydwellers. They have a new a new um, movement and a new uh, uh, reference number, and like which is like you know two tone Skydweller. You think it'd yeah. be like yeah, and new dial color. You think a two tone Skydweller would be like something that's not that te- typically or. Uh, that difficult to get and they haven't received that so um i don't know when any of these watches are going to show um i think it definitely affected the market a bit you know rolex is saw an uptick um i think people are just waiting for for something to for an excuse to pay a little bit more for the rolexes like so daytonas are all trading for you know slightly more than they were um before the releases uh not nearly at the at the levels of what they were you know uh, the end of 2021, thank God, right? We don't want to see $50,000 steel Daytonas, though when the new ones show up, I'm sure the first few that hit Chrono 24 and eBay are going to be going to be asking that high, sure. and that's disappointing, I'm sure, but who knows what they're actually going to trade for or, you know, once they do start shipping these things, you know, how many they're going to ship at a time because I think that, that will be a big determining factor for all these models, right? Like, like the you know the titanium yachtmaster was something that people were just losing their minds over. I had people like just like blowing my phone up. Hey, put me down for one of those. Put me down for those. Nobody's talking about it anymore. Um, nobody's nobody has them. I don't think any have been delivered. I haven't seen any online from any of the guys that one, would. Yeah. yeah, nobody's got them. No one's posting them for cloud or anything like that. So, um, and you know we don't know 
sometimes Rolex will trickle things out. Sometimes Rolex will send a large shipment of things, right? Like, you know, sometimes you'll get, you'll get, uh, you know, two, you know, new Kermits uh, and, you know, 20 black subs, right? And so like, and, and then if, if, you know, one re- retailer is getting a large shipment of them, you assume all the rest of them are going to get similar numbers. And so you can kind of guess what's going to happen to the market on these watches. Uh, because they're all going to be delivered, and we, and we, you know, we go through that, and all of a sudden, I get like a bunch of the guys that I deal with who trade watches with me, who have a local AD, and they're all calling me within the same week to offer me like the same watches. Okay, well, well there's a big shipment right. that came in. Um, so, but we haven't seen any of that yet. Um, so, I guess I don't know. I mean, uh, we we are seeing a um, an uptick in uh, in interest in Daytona, right? Like the uh, all Daytonas, rare Daytonas are starting to. You know, I have guys calling and asking me if I have a certain this, that, and other, like a beach or a, you know, the John Mayers or whatever it may be. Though John Mayers is something that we can kind of talk about because it, you know, that that watch specifically has fluctuated greatly in value over the last few, over the last few years. Um, and I have a theory on that. Um, I actually had a, did another podcast with a with a guy who, um, a local guy here, and we were talking about that because he was he he deals more in just purely just the like the collectability or, or I guess investment value of watches which is you know not how I always like to think about them but there is that aspect and he was asking me if I uh, you know why I thought the or, or asking me my opinion on the on the John Mayer and why I thought it didn't didn't perform kind of the way people thought you know there was a, there was a, a lot of people online speculating that hey if this thing gets discontinued it's going to be over 200,000 right it was they were up to as much as 150 back when you know uh, late 2021, early 2022, people were paying as much as that. I mean, I know personally if people paid 120,000 for that watch, then they came, they came, you know, down with everything else down like in, you know, 85, 90, um, And then when they were discontinued, they went back up to like, you know, 110, but now they're, they're back under a hundred. So uh, like, you know, why would a watch like that, that was, so coveted people were dying for it and i mean they did not deliver that many of them i mean they made the watch was made for quite a few years so there's probably you know thousands of those watches out there but they towards the end especially they weren't delivering many of them um so you know he was asking me that question like why do you think this watch is not performed as well as say like some of the people like the flippers and whatnot would have expected um and i think i talked to you about this or not i don't know if, if we talked about this offline Jason, yeah we or not, touched but, on on your conversation with him after the fact yeah I think, so, I, mean, I, I mean, realistically, the watch is kind of yeah. ugly, uh, in my yeah, opinion. That's the main um, thing. It's not my favorite variant, and I think that the guys that were chasing it was for the hype. So when the market yeah. drops, it scares a lot of potential potential uh, investors, I will call them, uh, yeah. away from the opportunity. It's not a watch that somebody was going to pay 120 and now it's 90 is like, oh, man, now I can finally have the watch I've always wanted. It's like, yeah. eh, it's not worth it now. Um, yep. You know, it's one of the, one of the things that I love about the the piece that's just come out is it's it's tied directly to the the Le Mans uh, racing anniversary, and I think that adds something to the Daytona because that's what you know that's the DNA of the of the watch. It's not John Mayer wearing the watch and making it cool. It's it's a freaking racing right. computer. You know, it's it's um, so I think kind of touch on what you talked about with like all Daytonas. And we always talk about in the past, you know, all boats rise type situation. Anytime, arguably the Daytonas were the headliner, right? A couple months ago, um, 
everybody was talking about all the new changes and, and what was coming out. So obviously uh, you realize you're not going to get that watch. It's just coming out. It's probably impossible. Let me look at the other Daytonas. And that's kind of what we're seeing is guys now starting to starting to say, okay, well now I can justify, you know, the, the steel piece because it's discontinued. You know, now I can justify mm-hmm. that, that extra expense because I wasn't going to pay X amount over retail for a watch that I may or may not get a phone call for. And they, they had that hope. So the, the watch is discontinued. Now you can kind of justify spending over because that watch doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think Daytona's are, are, are starting to see, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy to say like Daytona's are seeing more popular uh, search histories because they're always pretty popular, but they definitely spiked again. I would say. Yep. Yeah, they spiked a bit, and and that's so. So just to touch back on the John Mayer thing. So number one, obviously, was the watch itself wasn't like some sort of special edition for John Mayer, right? Like, is they called the John Mayer because it was made popular by him. He he did a Hodinkee right. article and he was talking about how like the watch is, um, you know, very special and they don't make many of them, and just, people just started just jumping on it, right? Um, but you know, I, I do also believe that the watch is kind of ugly. Like I I don't love that green dial i like the if they were to re-release it um with the same green dial that they put in the new day date that flat like forest green dial no not the mint okay um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah yeah i know which one's up yeah yeah like the, like the dark flat green like i like that much better right like I'm, I'm not like a green dial guy anyways like i have the um the moser collective piece and i like that yeah, but it was i almost i like it more just because it's uh it's the, the I like dial watches yeah, you're a green watch guy, so you know this. You have actually probably a more nuanced opinion on this, but I think that like the the green in the John Mayer, it's nice, you know, but it's okay. not it's not one hundred twenty thousand dollars nice, one hundred fifty thousand dollars nice in my opinion. John, um, and you know it's it's a thing that, um, and I believe this across the board that, you know, if a watch is not ultimately when it comes down to it, if it's not wearable, then I don't think it'll be long term collectible. Um, you know, I think this is one of the main reasons why, why Jorn became so popular is because his watches, they speak to everybody. The design language in a Jorn, like I've never met anybody who said, oh, I just can't get behind a Jorn. It's just too ugly. It, you know, they just don't speak to me. Like they might say, oh, you know what? It's not, you know, maybe you have a guy who likes kind of funky watches and you say, oh, well, they're too boring for me. But, you know, the boring really just means it has mass appeal. That, that usually is the case so like a yellow gold watch number one it's very hard for all yellow gold watch to have mass appeal i think that's going to be that'll always ring true it takes a certain kind of person to to wear an all yellow gold watch especially an all yellow gold sport watch like i can see many more people are going to wear a yellow gold president than a yellow gold daytona in my opinion or a yellow gold sub it just seems just just the way it goes right um and then the other thing is like the green dial like as much as these brands have tried to push green as the dial color, like most people don't like it. Blue is popular for a reason because it's almost like vanilla. Green, purple, whatever, it, you know, these uh, uh, all these other color schemes, while I might like them better, like I'd love purple. And if you make purple, purple dial watches, I'd buy it all day long. But most people are not going to. Um, like you have to be a fan of the green, whereas a color like blue – silly as it seems is you know it's going to be more mainstream so i think for those reasons when you're looking if you're looking at a watch and you're just looking at it for like pure collectability like hey i want to buy this watch and just make money on it like you need to go for things that are going to be 
that are going to be mainstream. Um, you know, because the market needs to be large for this, for for the for the value sure. to go up. Like that's just the you way. Have a larger, it goes. yeah, you have a larger audience uh, yeah. to advertise the piece towards when it comes time. That's right. So, so I guess to to put it in perspective of this Le Mans piece. So number one, it's a fifty fifty one thousand four hundred dollar uh, retail price. So it's about what twelve grand more than the John Mayer was. Because I think the John Mayer was like a thirty eight, or maybe it was like a, like a low forties when it was discontinued. Um, so it's a higher retail price, but um, it's definitely definitely has more mass appeal for even if you don't care about Le Mans at all, you know you're gonna like the watch. It just it appeals that reverse panda is very appealing. It always has been. Um, the little fleck of red on the bezel and on the dial is also appealing. I think that it's universally a um, a good looking watch, and also in white gold, you're going to have many more people comfortable wearing white gold. And it's funny how that works because I know um, when I got in the industry, it's about ten years ago, and before that, white gold uh, was looked at as like a like. Like, uh, what does Manjo say? It, uh, uh, white gold has um, the uh, – it has the appeal of, of stainless steel or the look of stainless steel without the um, stigma of low cost, right? Like, that's – you know, that and that's how things were. Like, you know, white gold subs used to trade for shit. Uh, white gold Daytonas used to trade for shit because it's like, hey, if they make the same watch in stainless steel, why would you buy it? Why would you pay, you know, double the price or triple the price for white gold? Whereas nowadays – you know, there's enough collectors in the market to um, to sustain, you know, good, strong trading prices for white gold because, you know, people are looking at it like, all right, well, number one, there's more educated buyers. So people actually will know the difference when they look at the two watches and they know the dial, the dial color differences and whatnot between the white gold and the stainless steel. And um, there's also guys who are, you know, high end collectors who don't want to wear the steel versions of the watches. They rather wear precious metal. So for that reason, I think that this watch, if I have to guess, the first the first couple are going to be online for. It's funny because in my mind, every time I think of a number, I'm like, I could also see it higher than that. But at first, I was saying, okay, it'd be 100, 150. Um, now I'm thinking, I think it can easily be 200. And now when I thought of 200, I can see somebody throwing it up there, like the first one for like 350 grand. I don't think anyone's going to pay that, but I could see the watch trading for well over 100 thousand dollars. The shock value of the first one live. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, also fishing for, for offers. Um, mm-hmm. I think the watch, yeah. I mean, when I first saw the retail and I saw the watch, I thought like 125. Yeah. Um, but and I think it, it could be you know, there. Yeah. I think it will depend, you know, obviously it depends on uh, the, the demand will last throughout the model run. I don't know if it's going to be a year, two, three, you know, but there will always be demand for the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, one thing remains true is there will never be enough supply for that demand on that piece. So yeah, they'll, I agree. they'll trade over for the life of the watch. Yep. hundred percent. Um, you know, and you're seeing some of like some of the, uh, the oyster flex models are coming back down to trading like very close to retail and whatnot. So like, you know, it's not like all Daytonas are just like double retail and that's the reason. Um, but when you have a piece like this, um, that's going to be special. I assume that they're not going to, they're not going to deliver many of them. I don't know if they're going to make it a one-year run because they made, like, for example, the uh, the anniversary GMT with the green dial, right? That was made for an anniversary. Mm-hmm. They made that watch for, like, more than 10 years. So, I, I mean, I, we don't know. I don't think there was any anything on the press 
that said how like if there's like a finite run i don't know if rolex would do, say, do or say no that. You know, someone somebody was trying to convince me that the the 50 millimeter um uh deep sea um challenge what what, what what's the name of the why am i blanking on the the, the new titanium 50 millimeters mm-hmm. crazy watch that watch was only supposed to run for a year but that, that turned out not to be true um and that's a watch that's kind of i've only seen like that six retail. of those in the wild yeah, I've only seen one. I put it on my wrist. It's funny because the watch on the wrist does not feel bad. Does not like if you close your eyes, you're like, oh, this is kind of nice. And then you open your eyes, and you're like, what the fuck am I wearing? Um, but you know, I, and it's funny because yeah. the guy that I saw wearing it, so uh, a friend of mine, he is a very small gentleman. He's like five foot five at best, tiny guy, and he was wearing the crap yeah. out of it. He loved it. I thought it was silly, but. I mean, it felt really nice on the wrist, though. Even at like titanium, and we've talked about it before. Titanium is is the metal. I think if if Rolex just like made like just implemented titanium into across their lines, I'd be very happy. I I could have like an entire collection of titanium Rolexes. Yeah, Imagine like the titanium. titanium president, Jason. Mm, yeah, something that I would never. I mean, happen. I would dig like a Tridor, like a with mm. you know. Maybe you, yeah, supplement, that, you that, know, that, get rid of the white gold and do titanium in between yellow and rose. That'd be yeah. kind of cool. What's well, uh, like uh, Omega did that with the Seamaster with the with the they did titanium rose gold. Um, yeah, rose gold, and then what's the other metal? Um, I'm blanking on the name of that as well. It's a little bit late. Um, but yeah, so uh, but across the board, we're seeing in terms of just the market in general. I guess we can talk about that. Um, we're seeing Rolex. Rolex has strengthened, flattened uh, to a point where like we're not worried about um, about overstocking Rolexes for the most part right now. Uh, Paddock, roughly the same thing, you know. Like we're we're seeing good yeah, trading volumes so. at all these brands. Um, AP still seems like it has room to go down, which is crazy. Like AP, eighteen months, twenty four months ago was. So unbelievably on fire oh my god it was ridiculous every single watch ladies watches were trading above retail and that is definitely not the case now it looks like everything's on a pace to basically end up trading right out around retail is kind of what it looks like maybe certain models certain dials will be over um but you know the days of the short-lived days of buy any ap flip it for a profit and like a massive profit like some guy, guys were making thirty thousand dollars on steel um, what do you call it? Uh, a steel Royal Oaks, 41 millimeter Royal Oaks, which is, I mean, that's, it's absurd. They increased production. They also, I think there was just like such a large so, quantity yeah. of flippers involved. There was not many people wearing those watches, even though it's so that kind of flies in the face of what I said in terms of collectability. Cause I mean, I, I personally don't love the 41 millimeter. I don't think it's very comfortable on my wrist. I know you like the watch, but like, the, you know, those are wearable watches, but you know, not 60,000 a year. Uh, you know, that's not going to – you're not going to have every single watch be right. <clears throat> over retail when you're making $60,000 a year in the watch sale. You know, sells for 30 something thousand dollars retail, and then you're going you know, to turn around and sell it for 60 It's not happening. Yeah, in so. regards to AP, I, I think – I mean, I have a little bit of insight just from, um, you know, one uh, working with – trying to get one for myself uh, for quite mm-hmm. some time, two, talking to people daily, which I know you – you know. We have those conversations as well, but I think from what I've, hmm. I mean, my own experience and also uh, speaking to other like-minded collectors, uh, it seems like the, like there's still 
delivering the same, the amount of service uh, for as if everybody wants to watch and they don't have any, but they're delivering watches in you know a, a much greater capacity. So there's mm-hmm. I, I mean I don't want to say like you know the rude is a word that comes to my to my brain, but they just there's like mm-hmm. a a certain they just don't want to. I don't know. I, I don't know the right way to say it without sounding like that's, arrogance. Is yeah, it's, so, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the case. So it's very, um, you know, the, the sales reps and like the interaction that people have with the brands are not as pleasant as you would expect them to be at a thirty thousand dollar purchase. It's not the experience, the buying experience uh, in that luxury aspect uh, mm-hmm. that it might have been, you know, ten years ago. So which is guys can kind of stomach that a little bit when they really, really want the watch and there's uh, profit to be made and they can't yeah, get it. So now that they're delivering the watches and you can get them pretty much everywhere and they're starting to trend down and trade at retail or retail plus tax. It, you don't want to deal with the guy that doesn't want to deal with you. Um, and yeah. that seems to be kind of what I'm hearing from a lot of places. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, Maybe it's a good thing because people that actually want the watch and are going to keep it will start to get them. Mm-hmm. I know that they said uh, publicly that they were starting an initiative to get the watches to first-time clients. Um, mm. You know that that's what they were prioritizing. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily what's being delivered because I I know people are still waiting and I've had a lot of people get a second or third watch, call me and and try and sell it. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll see, but. Um, yeah, I think there's still some room for it to fall. I think you'll start to see a lot of the stuff, including 41's trade at you know retail plus tax. Yeah, and what'll happen with what'll happen there is then it'll it'll kind of even out, and flippers will go bye bye on certain references, and the guy that's been waiting for three years might actually get the watch. Um, well, I mean, so it's funny we'll you say that. Like, I I bought my wife. Like, I'm surprised they sold it to me. They knew who I was. But I bought my wife a two-tone 37-millimeter. Might have been might, – might be a 34. No, I think it's 37. Um, I think it was a 37. Yeah, two-tone piece about almost about two years ago. And, you know, I told her, like, she, she the, we went into to the boutique in 57th Street, and they were actually very nice to me. Like, I had a very good experience, actually. Um, you know, I had some experience with them back in 2015 uh, – you know, when, when Godberg's was an authorized dealer of AP, when, you know, they, when those things existed and, and they were, wanted to start doing kind of pre-owned, I went and spent time with their boutique staff and their, and some of their people at their executive team. And I don't think any of those people are still there, but, you know, I went in there and I was talking to them. I bought a strap for my AP, uh, my, my offshore that I owned. And I asked, I told them, I go, you know, I'd love to buy myself or my wife, my wife, you know, a Royal Oak as well. Um, and, uh, and he's like, yeah, we'll take, you know, we'll, yeah, if you, you know, we're not going to put you on a list for a men's piece, especially not then, because that was kind of at the height of things. He's like, yeah, we, we'll take down your name for my, if, you know, take down your wife's name. And I thought, I thought he was just being nice. I'm like, okay, I will never hear from these people, but at least he was being friendly. Um, and they were cool. Like they sold me some straps and they were very nice about it. Uh, and then they ended up calling my wife for the watch. We ended up buying it for her. She loves it. She owns it. And uh, so I told her to, Okay, ask the guy if he can sell me like actually I like the thirty eight millimeter chrono. I think that's that's like a perfect perfect size. So she's been asking for, you know, different models for me for my birthday and whatnot. And he he keeps turning her down or just saying, Hey, you know, we don't have anything available. So I don't know if they decided they don't want to sell me any more watches because they know I'm in the industry or 
if you know they really at that boutique they have enough demand um but i i know that i have guys who you know have been waiting for watches maybe they bought one or two and they are get definitely getting watches delivered to them they're being offered certain watches maybe not exactly the watch they want so they're looking to flip and they realize they're turning down some of the watches because they realize hey i'm going to lose money on this flip um so you know we'll we'll see what happens with ap i think that I think it'll end up settling. I mean, listen, trading at a premium watch trading at retail, I think is is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, people obviously, they're prisoners of the moment. So they're like, oh, you know, these things are tanking now because I can't sell them for triple retail. It's like, I don't know. They're not tanking. Like they're, you know, there's still a lot of demand uh, behind this. Just not, it's not such an insane amount of demand and it's not all driven by profit. Uh, You know, there there are more people who want to wear the watches are going to get them and, and that's going to happen. I think also it, it didn't help that they kind of like re-released the same models with new reference numbers like three years in a row almost. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, they had the anniversary having, having done this and... for, you know, almost 20 years, um, I would say if, as a as a watch lover, if I can buy something, put my money to it and experience it for, you know, a given, given amount of time and still be relatively safe, like the watch trading at retail is not a bad proposition. No, 20 years ago, that was not the case. You know, you bought a watch, that was it. You were done. Like, if you were going to sell it, you were going to lose your shirt, no matter I mean, what APs, it was. APs, Royal Oaks, you know, they would be like 18,000 retails. We would buy them for, so they would trade at like 12, and like dealers would buy them for like 9 or 10. But, and like, in offshores were, were like 25,000 and would trade almost in the same. Yeah. You know, like, they, used to buy subs for you, four grand. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, pre-ceramic subs, um, for sure, and then ceramic subs for five grand. I, I mean, it, again, it, the the watch world in general is so so much more liquid than it than it was back then. That you know, it's it's awesome. But if you just got into watch collecting in 2020, then you think this is a nightmare. That the watch collecting is dead. But if you zoom out back to like 2010, you're like, this is tremendous. You know, I don't have to lose. 60% of my money every time I want to trade a watch, right? Like, uh, you know, for my Panerai's, which I still kind of trade in and whatnot, and like, if, you know, if I lose, if it, if a, if it costs me 20% of what I paid to own a Panerai for four or five years, I think that's that's awesome. That's great. If I get 80% of my money back for for experiencing a watch that I like for, you know, a few years, I think it's tremendous. Um, you know, and you'll do better with Rolex. Uh, and then AP will probably end up being, you know, uh something like uh in between right like you know maybe it costs you if you buy it at retail and uh, it's a watch that sells at retail trades at retail and then you sell it to or we sell it on the market then you'll usually get your money back and if you sell it to a dealer that needs to make 15 or 20 percent then that's what it'll cost you but um you know it's not you don't you don't lose the vast majority of your money like you used to and um, you know, that goes for honestly all watches, right? Like there's no watches that we're buying at like 10 cents on the dollar anymore. And that was, there was many watches like Ulysse Narden used to be like a 15 cent on the dollar watch. And now mm-hmm. like I, I, we offer, I offered one on the other day and it was like, I offered like, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like 60% of retail. So like 40 off and well, yeah, you know, I that's mean, a watch you can still buy a at, lot of that. at a nice discount new. A lot of that credit goes to the brands that shirt up their secondaries, stopped doing closeouts, got right. a hold of production numbers, um, you know, so that, mm-hmm. that whole model changed, but it definitely has an yeah. effect on that stuff. Yeah. Actually, that's that was part of the conversation that I had the other day. It's like, there's no more closeouts for the most part. Like, and, and you know, that was, 
the gray market in general has changed where like the gray market before say 2017 was Joma shop authentic watches. It was, it was companies buying out closeouts and selling new watches at discounts, you know, via unauthorized sources. That's what it was, but they were truly new. And like people just wanted to pretend like they didn't know where these came from. Like they came from the brands, the brands were selling these things back doors or the, or the eighties. Um, so those have dried up, and now gray market is basically us, right? It's like it's pre-owned. You know, like Luxury Bazaar used to buy, be a closeout seller. Now they are fully in pre-owned, and they did they did a great job with that transition. Um, yeah. You know, like we've always kind of been in, in pre-owned, but you know, Joma Shop sells pre-owned watches now. Ten years ago, that you didn't, there was no pre-owned watches on, on Joma Shop. Right. I don't know how well, well ten, they're doing. 10, 15 years ago, you know, pre-owned watches was a dirty word. You know, yeah. it used to be an uphill conversation, an uphill battle as to why you would, you know, why take the hit, buy, you know, buy the depreciated asset at a depreciated price and enjoy it. But it was like such an uphill battle. Now it's the majority mm-hmm. of the market. Yep. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, I think the buyers gotten smarter. There's a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, media content, internet, a lot of resources, um, you know, it seems like the the world as a whole has accepted the proposition that it makes more sense. And realistically, if you think about it, like the argument was always that these things are made to run well past you know past you, hundreds yeah, and hundreds of years. Live you. So yeah, so the watch being four years old doesn't doesn't matter. Um, right. Well, I think a big so a, a large part of the mass adoption of of premium watches is the fact that for most people, it's the only way you can get a Rolex now, right? Like that is, that is, you know, mm. Rolex is, is the king of the, of the watch market. And I think that when, when you could buy a new Rolex, then, and you know, that was the vast majority of what people were buying and still is, um, then people would be like, why the hell, why would I buy a, a premium when I can buy a new, I don't want to buy a used watch. And <clears throat> when things started going crazy in the Rolex market and now the, the, you know, people are buying Rolex. They can only buy them pre-owned, and they're actually they're going to pay more than list. But you know, there's there was an understanding now that um, that pre-owned watches doesn't mean that you're buying something beat up, scratched up, you know, defective. You know, like I would right. say, a car, you buy a car and drive it for a week, it'll never be new again. There's I don't care what you do to that car. You could take it apart, clean every little piece of that thing, put it back together. It's it's always going to be. You know, there, there's a certain amount of wear you're going to put on the car. And that's how people kind of thought about just pre-owned watches. But it's not true. Pre-owned watches can be brought back up to new condition, you know, 100%. I mean, and like Rolexes can be brought up. If, if done, if if carefully worn and done by Rolex technicians, um, you know, at, at Rolex service centers, these things can be brought back to new again, you know, multiple times, three, four, five times. Um so I mean, Rolex themselves have implemented a, a whole infrastructure for restoring, you know, yep. uh, collect catalog vintage pieces back yep. to new. So yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. So all right, so um, that was Rolex. Let's uh, the other topic I wanted to talk to you about, Jason, was something that came up recently. Um, you know, the, and it, I guess it goes to like the 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 rise of independence. You know, we talked about that as a topic for quite some time um but you know Mm -hmm. now it's you know it's been five six years like jorn is a full-on thing right like it's not 
nobody now Jorn is a fully established brand. There's no question what's happening with the brand. You know, it's it, it seems like for the life of the brand, it will be a a very like a mainstream brand as far as independents go. And 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 there's other brands that have kind of picked up as well. You know, there's Moser, there's Grubel. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say RM is in there in that in that category as well. Um, so, you know, people are one of the main reasons why in the past people would shy away from from buying these small independent brands was because they were so illiquid, right? Like they uh, you, you didn't you didn't know if the brand was going to be around, you know, in five or ten years to uh, to service your watch. Um, right. You know, there there wasn't there wasn't a lot of there was no way to educate yourself on the brand or understand where they come from, all this stuff. So, you know, it's the, the there is a renaissance in in uh, in independent brands, these small boutique independent brands, you know, brands that are making, I guess, let's say less than 5,000 watches a year. And the only reason why I say 5,000 is because, like, I guess if we're going to put RM in there, that's about how many watches they make. But you know, all the other brands we're talking about making hundreds of watches. So, uh, you know, the question comes up, it's like, how do I know which brands to buy? And it's not just, you know, how do I know which brands are quality? Because for the most part, all these watches are going to be very high quality, all these brands. Um, but it's really, you know, how do I know I'm not, I'm not going to buy a watch and then lose 50% of the value, right? Especially when you're spending 150 grand on a watch or something crazy like that, or even 70 grand on a watch, right? Like you're spending a tremendous amount of money on something that you know is, is you know, handmade artistry um you know high level engineering um how do you know which brands to look at and uh and which ones to stay away from so uh, let's we can kind of talk about that i have some some kind of guidelines but you know yeah, I, hear, I think hear. the uh i would say that i mean the renaissance of of is largely brought on by uh you know obviously production or or higher quality or higher capable manufacturing like Rolex, Paddock, AP, stuff like that. Again, all boats rise, the the market goes crazy. People start looking for where to put the next batch of money or, you know, the next, what's the next phase of their collecting evolution and independents have always been there. But like you said, it's a scary proposition because it's an unknown and the larger adoption of, of these brands by, by the masses make sure that they're going to be there in the future. And it makes it a little bit more of a comfortable purchase because now everybody's kind of all your buddies that you came up with that were buying AP Paddock Rolex, the stuff they can't get anymore, the stuff they don't want to play with anymore are starting to look at RM. Now that's the exciting thing. You're, you got five buddies that are getting one. You know that they're selling every watch that they make. There's demands, there's a secondary market. That's not such a scary proposition for your money anymore. And now it's the new cool thing that's on the fringe of like, it's kind of not known, but it's the future. And that's what we're seeing with these, these, I would say, mid-level independents. And you have the same problem that we just got out of with those independents are now being taken up by the, the new, you know, crowdfunded brands, the new brands that people aren't sure of. Because there's a whole, we can do a whole nother show on those kind of new startups that are we're having the same conversations we've had over the last five, six years is, are they going to be around? Should they be using that movement? Does anybody want to touch this? Do I want to buy an HYT? Are they going to, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the larger 
kind of uh, picture that I'm seeing is that as they become more safe and more stable and supported, then they're adopted by first by those guys that are willing to take the faith-based purchase. And then secondarily, the guys that are like, oh, well, that's cool. And X, Y, and Z has one. So now they start looking at them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think independence is uh, these mid-level manufacturers are, are, it's great. I mean, uh, we're starting to see some really crazy stuff coming out. So Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing it with my customers. I have guys who, you know, only used to buy, you know, uh, Rolex, Panerai, IWC, um, NAP or something like along those lines, like just established brands, you know, maybe they don't all trade over, but there's just a few brands that they buy. And now like, you know, you and I know we have a friend who literally all he has is watches from independent brands. Like he's got Urwerk, Debitune, Jorn, you know, et cetera. Right. Like this is, this is who they're going after. And it's funny. Cause like when we, when we go back to Jorn, I remember selling CDs at discounts. Now, obviously, it's not the case, right? Like, and that was the main yeah. thing. It's like, who's, who, what is this brand? Who are these guys? And you know, I, they're, they're, you know, it's Jorn is basically like a knockoff of Paddock. Is what you used to hear. It's, it's clearly not the case. Um, so people got to know, you know, people got to know the brand, and you know, Jorn is kind of. So I'd say that if you're looking for something that has that's going to be like massively collectible, right? So if you're only looking at it from a financial standpoint, which I don't recommend doing, but it's, it's an aspect of it, right? So <clears throat> Jorn is the perfect storm for these reasons, my opinion. Um, small manufacturer, he makes less than a thousand a year. He's probably is doing anywhere between um, 700 and 900 a year, right? Uh, uh, mechanical watches, he'll do, he'll match it, the mechanical production with, with his quartz, or at least Last time we talked to him about it, that's what he said. So I don't know if they changed things, but it's roughly what they're making, right? They don't have any plans to increase production. He's got one factory, and that's it. Um, their uh, their watches, you know, there's a personality behind the brand, right? So it's not just an ambiguous brand. That's one of the downsides of, say, like a brand like Moser in, in that sense, because it's like, you know, who's the watchmaker? We don't really know. Right? Like they took they 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 reignited an old brand name. You know, we have. The, the Melons who are who running the show, they're great, but um, you, know, you, don't, you don't have a watchmaker. You don't have one personality, singular personality that's going into every watch. So that's so that's one of the the upsides of Jorn. Um, and then the other, last part is the watches speak to everybody. There, I've never met anybody who said Jorn is ugly. Like I just can't get behind the Jorn. It's just too weird for me. Ne- it's never been said. So I think that's. You know, the, the design language speaks to everybody, and I think that is something that allows that brand to be as popular as it is, right? And you can see those, like, like so that's the perfect storm, right? But it has those, those, those characteristics. And you can see certain parts of those characteristics in other brands that have become more popular. But realistically, like, I like Urwork. I've always loved Urwork. They used to trade for literally shit. Like, we used to buy them for 20 cents on the dollar. I mean, I remember there was... Uh, there was an Urwerk that um, that we had. It was a uh, it was a prototype. They called it somebody online. They called it the Scratch Magnet. So I had a cu- customer who actually since passed away. Really sad. I found out he passed away last year. Uh, but he he was a kind of a collector in, in in those types of brands early on. So he sent sent us that watch, um, and I want to say like we didn't know what to pay for. I think we paid like fifteen thousand bucks, and we were still like nervous about it. I think we threw it up for like 30, like saying, like, I don't know, let's see where this goes. I think 
we ended up it took us like a year. We sold it for like twenty grand, um, and I think that watch I saw that watch either listed as an auction or online or something for like one hundred and twenty grand. Yeah, like so. There's so there's people paying. You know, and Erwork makes small amount of watches. I think they make less than two hundred watches a year. I think that so that's part of it also. So like very limited runs, and that's something that is interesting because you know a brand say like like uh, Gerard Perrin. I think they make thirty five hundred watches a year. Like they don't make, they're not a big manufacturer, but it's still relatively a lot of watches based on the demand. And so like the amount of attention it would take for, for a brand like that to have all their watches over retail would be so massive because they've been making watches for a long time and they make, you know, they make a decent amount of watches. Whereas like Urwerk or say like Debitune, right? I think last year we calculated there was like a little over 3000 Debitunes ever made. So the amount of attention it would take for a watch like for a brand like that to pop. So if you bought it because you liked it and you were also hoping it would go up in value, it's like it's a decent bet because they make so few watches. Urwerk is also a brand like that. Um, you know what else? Uh, like uh, Roman Gautier, very small manufacturer. I, just, so I think yeah, that's a big part. I would. Of it. I just want to preference by saying like, Urwerk is not in the, at least in my eyes, in the league of these other brands that we're talking about. Um, I I just want to put that out there because, yeah, I mean, they're not using, you know, they, they, they're good watches. They're known for being funky and kind of an adapt to kind of in similar regards design wise to like MBNF and having like their own design language and aesthetic, except for not having the horsepower behind it Uh because they use, you know, um, a lot of module movements and stuff like that. But I just want to put that out there. We're talking about like Romain Gauthier yeah. and, and Jorn and um, even, even Gerard Perigo, uh, you know, has their, has their own in-house stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, you know, I'm put that out there, but in, ter- in regards to like how many pieces they make and the fact that like people do buy them and do covet them. Yes, for sure. Uh, in the conversation, but definitely uh, not to the level of some of the other guys. Yeah. But I mean, so I, I don't think that I get what um, you're saying though. Yeah, I don't think in-house movements or like high-level finishing of the movements is necessary. Like it's, it it, it is part of why Jorn is so popular, but it's not. It's it's on the back burner because I mean, listen, if if we're gonna talk about that, then okay, so then throw Rolex out the door, right? Like, you know, like in terms of yeah, but Rolex isn't part of this uh, specific conversation. No, I agree, I agree, but um, I I don't think I think that design and the thing about our work is it's all about um the way they show the time, right? That's, that's, right. That's what their, their goal is that. And then, you know, in making funky art pieces for your wrist. So I think it's still, I, I, while I agree with you, it, you, it's not on the level in the sense of watchmaking with these brands. I think when people are buying them, they are, they're looking at them with the same, you know, with the same kind of view and, and maybe, you know, you're not going to spend, you're not going to spend as much on work because you know that, you know, the movement is not some like massively finished piece. Uh, so that might be something that'll keep the prices down or, or, you know, near their retail or below or whatever. But, um, but you know, it's still, they're still a very popular brand. I'd wear one. I don't want, um, but, uh, so I like the watch. Like, I'm not saying I wouldn't wear yeah. one. Like I, I, I understand brand, why you hate but... work so much. I'm, that's what I'm really trying I think to get that, to. I, I just think it's important to, to categorize them appropriately. That's all. All right. You're, look at you. Segregation over here, man. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I think if anybody's made it this far, they know that, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was going to get 
this was going to happen eventually. <laughs> the name calling. Um, so, okay, well, so what's another brand? So, so we're talking about these brands. We've mentioned Jorn, which is the king of the independence now, right? Like, or, or the king of these boutique independents, because if we're going to say, if we're going to use the word independent, I'm sure there's some some guy screaming at his at his speaker saying, Rolex is independent, Paddock is independent, you know, AP is independent, but we're talking about like small workshops, right? Like, um, and that's maybe that's. Maybe we should call, call them workshop watches because it, it's humoring, it's not humoring ourselves thing, enough right? to think that people care about what we say uh, or that anyone's listening to a podcast. Right yeah, <laughs> exactly. But um, um, so what's another brand? So we talked about Jorn. We said uh, we brought up our work, which we've decided mm-hmm. you hate. Um, there's uh, MBNF you mentioned, which I'd like to talk about. I threw in their Grubel, which I, it was one of my favorite independent brands, which is yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that they don't trade for more. You know, they don't have more. When I say when I say I don't, uh, I'm surprised they don't trade more, uh, higher. It's really, I don't. I'm surprised there's not more demand. I don't really care about the prices. Yeah. Like I don't I want these things to be worth of, like to be trading for like stupid amount of money. But I I'd like them. I like there to be more demand around the brand. More people. I like think it. more. Grubel Grubel's amazing, but mm-hmm. I don't think you know they trade at such a high price point already that I think a lot of people kind of just write them off as like unobtainable. Yeah, the retail too high. Yeah, it's just. I mean. I'm not saying it's not justified. They're, you know, probably nicest watch in the world. Um, but could be. Yeah. I just think that for a lot of guys that are, you know, listen, I'm not buying hundred thousand dollar watches, but maybe one day. But I think for a lot of guys that are sh- that are um, shopping for independence, you know, and are looking at what they get for their money, do just kind of write off Grubel because it's like that un, you know, Balenciaga S is like that unobtainable exit watch if you will i hate that term but it's it's like that nah one day maybe never you know same way i think that people look at an rm it's like i'm not going to get one but it's cool um i think you but know if, if it's, if I'm doing probably a, something that should be well if i'm doing it this or that between an rm and a and a, and a grubel I, I take the grubel um you know maybe the upside on, a, on an rm is higher but you're going to spend more for the most part, especially if you're going to like go one for one. But so you, you just mentioned Laurent Ferrier, which is an interesting brand because when, <clears throat> I, when I first found out about Laurent Ferrier, I thought it was a beautiful watch. I thought it was awesome. I think one of the reasons why it hasn't blown up though, it, they recently have gone up in value somewhat like 20 or 30%, um, is because it's kind of, it's a boring watch in, in some senses, right? Like the cases, which I think that it's a lot of these, so Jorn is very specific about his cases, right? Like the cases have to look and feel great. And a lot of watchmakers, the case is like a secondary thought. It's movement number one, the dial number two, and then the case number three. I think mm-hmm. that case design is is just as important as as movement and dial, sometimes more important. It's, I mean, like case point, I'm wearing a Panerai, and this is all about the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the Panerai is the only thing about the Panerai are the cases, um, realistically. So – uh, I guess in the dials, but the case first, dial second, and then moving third, really, Panerai. But I think um, that was one of the things for uh, for Laurent Ferrier, but he does make so few watches. You know, he made his sport model. I think it's kind of a weird watch, but it's, it, people like it. Um, but, they're, you know, people are starting to chase kind of like his super limited things. I mean, I think he only makes 100 watches a year or something like that as well. Very small manufacturer, so it doesn't take much for for a brand to all of a sudden get a lot of attention, and then the prices shoot up because there's not a lot of inventory out there. Um, 
So I, I think, like, I would, if I was looking for a cool independent that I liked, and I, and I, and I, and I like the aesthetic of a Lauren Ferry, I wouldn't mind picking one up now because I think that there is an upside down the road. Five, ten years from now, I think those things can be trading high. Actually, here's a story. Um, so are you familiar with Vianney Holter? Yeah. Okay, so um, I had, I've kind of trashed him in the past because he uh, personally killed some sales for me early on when I was in the industry. I had a, a guy who, um, back with Watch You Want, uh, was kind of a big customer. He had bought a Vianney piece directly from him back before. So this was the Antiqua, but it was uh, there was a guy named Jeff Barnes who um, who designed the actual case and the watch itself, and then Vianney put the, you know made the movement right because he's an amazing watchmaker, and so he he created this amazing movement for the Antiqua. Um, and, uh, Jeff Barnes was the guy who, who designed it and they, I think they had a falling out. And, um, but the first few, I guess, pieces of these were, were signed on the dial, Holter Barnes, right? So now mm-hmm. if you look, if you search Vianney Holter, um, Antiqua, they all say Holter on them or, or they say Vianney Holter. They don't say, um, Holter Barnes. So <clears throat> this guy had one that said Holter Barnes still, and he sent it to me for it was at that point it was on consignment i think we were going to try to get him 50 grand or something along those lines when he wanted for the watch so we were out there asking 70 grand seeing what we can get for it and seeing like what offers we can get so um we got close we made a few deals uh in principle around like a 55 60 000 mark but every single one of those deals got got killed because inevitably each one of the guys would reach out to Vianney because he was available and say like, Hey, can you tell me anything about this watch? What, what, you know, what does it cost service? So Vianney would tell people that, Hey, the watch is broken and it costs $35,000 to, to fix, but I'll sell you a new one for was like 40 or 50 or something like that. Right. So it turns out like the, it was an early prototype or early version of the movement. I think it didn't work very well, but it wasn't that like, hey, the watch is broken because this guy broke it or because it hasn't been serviced. It's broken because like this is the design of the watch was realistically what it was. And then he was also trying to sell new watches because it doesn't make him any money to for right. you know for, for someone to buy a pre-owned watch. So that was part of it. And that, that sucked. I was kind of annoyed by that at the time. In the end, I don't really care. I mean, the guy's an amazing watchmaker. I, th- I think he's got a reputation. But um, what's funny is that <clears throat> that watch just sold at auction, so we could not give it away for fifty grand. I think the guy ended up taking it back and selling it at at an auction. I don't remember which auction house it was, but he, I think he ended up getting like fifty or sixty grand at auction for the watch. This was twenty fifteen, so what eight years ago? So the watch, that exact watch, just sold at auction, Holter Barnes. So, so it hasn't gone back to Vianney because one thing about Vianney was that he was going to take the name uh, uh, Barnes off the dial, apparently. So I assume it hadn't gone back to him for service. Um, $450,000 the watch sold for. Jeez. Yeah, it's a long story, but that's a punchline, man. It's, how crazy is that? So it, it just shows you the the level of, of money or the level of collector that's coming into this market and looking for these like artistic pieces. So like, you know, there, you have a certain kind of people who are going to buy mainstream watches, Rolexes, Omegas, you know, Panerai's guys like us, you and me, you know, and we're going to appreciate like a Moser or like a Garrick, which I have right. Small manufacturers, but like, obviously I'm not spending, spending $450,000 on a watch. I don't think that there's ever going to be a situation where I, I could, I'll be, you know, able to do something like that. But what we're seeing is, and this is something that I've talked about in the past too, is that, um, a lot of art collectors, guys who are spending 
millions of dollars per year on art are coming into the watch world, and that's who's buying, spending the 450 on the Viani Halter, I believe, is what we're seeing. So that and, caliber of guy for sure. Yeah. Maybe not all art, but guys that are you know dropping 300 on cars on right. you know stuff that's like you know once you once you reach a certain point like that you know it's it's what's next the uh, you know michael jordan's flu game uh, uh sneakers just mm-hmm. were auctioned at for like 1.3 million dollars yeah i don't know if it's the same guy that's buying the viani Holter is buying that but you know there, but so there's... like what's that guy do after sneakers you know, like where do you go from one point three million dollars sneakers? Just wears them around. No, his house. What's the next? What's the next thing to collect or chase? Or you know, what I mean, there's always something. Humans. He's gonna start buying humans next. Yeah, right. I don't well, know. This, is the, this I mean... is the descending moment of the of the bug. <laughs> yeah, Josh is trafficking. So, all right, so um, I guess just to recap, kind of my thoughts. I'm saying if you're looking for a uh, like a quality independent brand, um, that that should be tradable if you you know if you get tired of the watch the watch look for low run numbers right? i would say like i mean ideally below 500 but definitely under a thousand is is the way to look um especially if you're spending you know upwards of 50 60 70 100 000 on a watch you definitely want something under a thousand so like moser is good they make they make what like two thousand watches a year but you're gonna you can buy a moser for fifteen thousand bucks so um judge it based on the price uh, price point, um, and then look for things that are, you know, while I'd say the lower the pro- the production number, the more esoteric you can get in terms of their design. So like, you know, Urwork makes 150, 200 watches a year, I believe. I could be wrong, I think, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, so like, you know, they can have esoteric designs and still have a, a nice trading um, value, and they'll they'll have retention because there's going to be enough guys to buy watches like that. Same thing with like. You know, uh, with um, uh, Debatoon. Debatoon, I think, is a, is a great a great example of that. You know, very esoteric, but awesome watches. They kind of grow on you in terms of their design, but they make so few watches that it, it you don't need mass appeal, generally, for those watches to, to pop in, in value or for them just to hold value, you know, and, and be able to be tradable. Um, and then, you know, also, if, if a bonus would be, like, having a wa- the watchmaker being... being kind of the face of the brand i think that that's always a bonus and i think that's what that's what put jorn over the top and i think that's part of why laurent ferrier is starting to get more popular now and you know viani halter watches sell for four hundred fifty thousand dollars at auction so yeah awesome All right. <laughs> there you great go. synopsis yeah i think it's uh we're winding down it feels like yes, sir yeah we're running up on an hour here, so um, I don't know. I don't know if you have any other thoughts before we can end this, Jason. No, I think you know. I think it's a good conversation. It's uh, as most of our podcasts kind of go. It's like a we're echoing conversations in some some regard that we've had in the past. Um, you know, just you and I, and it's like a topic that we talk about, and it's like this would make a good podcast. Um, so it, it, it's always kind of more of a fluid conversation i like that it's not as structured as as having an outline maybe like when we used to do the youtube shows but what are your thoughts on the also, watches jason not on know, the podcast coming up on, on. 
Please. Well, I mean, listen, if you don't, Nobody if you don't, if you don't on the fluff your own podcast an hour <laughs> in, who's going to do it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Barely anyone's listening. But, um, but no, but I mean, in terms of the watches, I think, uh, I think that's it, right? Like, uh, if you can buy I, the new Le Mans Daytona, do it. That's, yeah. that's the synopsis of this conversation. If you hate that watch, if yeah. you can't stand that watch, buy that watch. Cause, um, and if you get offered you a 42 Titanium Yachtmaster and you don't yeah. want it, no, just I turn do. that down because I'd like that watch. Yeah, I want to own that. Yeah. I'll own one eventually. Hopefully that becomes – that's in the catalog for long enough where they, you know, I can get one at close to retail in terms of trading value. But yeah, that or just everybody forgets about it by the time they start delivering it, and then you and I can just go buy one. Yeah, it would be great. Not likely. I will not hold my breath on that one. So, all right, guys. Well, listen, if you're still listening an hour in, we love you. You're champions. Um, we owe you a beer. Yeah, well, Jason owes you a beer. I don't drink beer. But um, – yeah, man, guys, appreciate this. Uh, uh, stay tuned. We'll, I promised uh, a podcast every month, and this is uh, me upholding that promise. And I probably will try to get it to two a month. Um, we got some exciting things, I guess, personally. Uh, next, The beginning of next month, I'm flying to Seattle, and I'm going to go drive out to Mount Rainier, and we're doing a climbing expedition. So I'm going to try to summit Mount Rainier. And I'm trying to convince Jason to let me borrow his Polar. So uh, if his uh, his Explorer 2 white dial. So um, if you know him on Instagram or you're listening to this, reach out to him. Tell him, hey, you gotta you got to let Josh wear that watch on the mountain. Uh, if only there was but, a place that you could call and have them send you one. <sighs> nah, I don't. I want to wear yours, Jason. Hey, listen, come pick it up. That's fine. Okay. All right, cool. So you heard it here. I'm going to wear that watch on the mountain. That's That's the one I'm going to wear. So, uh, guys, if you uh, if you don't have a way to get a hold of me, find me on Instagram at Mr. Thanos at M R T H A N O S. Um, you can email me J Thanos at the uh, Watchbox dot com. Um, Jason is is it J Main? Uh, yep. It, no, it's Jason M at the Watchbox dot com and uh, Instagram's Evo E V O underscore Watches. Sweet. Yep, and uh, just you know, be sure if I'm sure you already are. If you're listening to this podcast, there's no chance you're not subscribed to our to the YouTube channel and watch Tim's reviews. But if somehow you aren't, check it out. Tim also the greatest uh, watch reviewer on the planet, bar none. I'd put him up against anybody, and I'd fight you if you try to disagree with me. All right, very well, and uh, awesome. until next time. See you later. Right. Have a good night. Adios, Bye. sir. Bye bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.